This presentation is from Design Research 2021, day three. Our next talk is from uh, Kim, who's going to be talking about something that I was aware of, but very much not aware of, which is the empathy walk. Um, it's a wonderful technique to help get a group of stakeholders um, in in the right mind, in the right frame of mind, uh, a lot more aware about um, what's happening with a group of people. Hi, Kim. Hello. Thanks for having me. Joining us. We are ready for you when you are ready for us. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for joining me on this talk on how to design your own empathy walk. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm calling in from Brisbane, which is the ancestral lands of the Turrbal and Yagara nations. And I'd like to acknowledge the first Australians as the traditional custodians of the continent. And I pay deep respects to all elders past, present and emerging and recognize and appreciate their ongoing connection to country. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim. And a couple of US Australians ago, I was able to attend a workshop by Dave Gray on game storming. And that's when I realized that I am a method copycat. So it's in that spirit that I'd like to share this particular method with you. Um, a couple of the talks already through um, this conference, which is amazing, by the way, I've learned so much, um, have been about doing the best research that you can, but then what happens when you actually present it? And this method, um, the method of an empathy walk, is something that I'd love to be able to share with you to see how you can apply it, if you can overlay your, uh, your research with it. So an empathy walk, as I've learned about these, um, can be applied in two different ways to tell a story. Apart from the title, the only thing that's actually in common with them is that it's a facilitated group activity. Um, there's walking involved and it's done in silence, but how you apply it can be vastly different. So one way can be to tell your own story amongst your peers in a concurrent way. And I'll walk you through some stories about that. And the other method, which is uh, also really powerful, and this was an oomph moment for me, um, was to live someone else's, the persona's story. So both of these can be uh, designed and guided, and I'll, I'd like to show you how. The first way um, that I've seen this run is to be able to share your own story. So this is a reflective way for a group to concurrently share and learn of each other's experiences. But with that, you also learn about privilege and vulnerability. So this, of course, comes with a handle with care, cautionary sign all over it because vicarious trauma, as I learned firsthand, is actually a thing. And I'll, sh I'll tell you about how I experienced this. Story number one, I'm a design facilitator in a three-week uh, summit in Thailand. And this was going to be a three-week really intense uh, session where people were going to descend from all over the world, different walks of life, backgrounds, mindsets, time in life. And we were going to have to guide them through something that could be really intense for them, especially when they're in a culture um, and they were away from home, they're away from their comfort zones. So we were walked through this particular activity that would help us as facilitators prepare to support our team members and really build that empathy for them because who we were going to meet as um, team members, we're only going to see the iceberg tip, right? We didn't know what else they were going to be bringing with them. So... This was effectively, I'll show you the method here. This is effectively a case of guided, never have I ever, but flip that to make it I have ever. So the facilitator would read out criteria and we would be instructed to either take a step forward or backward if it applied to us um, or stay put where we were. 
the criteria here were about experiences so that we could kind of see what everyone else had also gone through. It might not have applied to us. And as you can see, over time, through a slow guided pace, and again, silent, um, everyone's positions ended up very different from each other. And some of these were really intense experiences. And afterwards, we had a good talk about it. By that stage, by the way, I was in absolute tears because I realized some people had gone through experiences that I had not, that were actually really quite traumatic. So be careful about how you pick that criteria. The purpose of this type of empathy walk is really good for team bonding. Um, also really interesting for drinking games, but that's aside. Um, it was a great prime, priming activity for us as team facilitators because we could then anticipate the richness of the people who we're, we're going to be custodians of um, in the next coming weeks. So that when they were dealing with a crisis, we could think about them as whole human beings rather than just, oh, you're worried, you're crying about this particular thing. Um, there's more to it than that. Um, and you'll also see cases, I think, on YouTube where people apply this to show vulnerability and privilege. Um, so they're really good videos um, about how that's been applied. So if you're going to use this in a workshop, um, be careful about the criteria list that you come up with, uh, because you don't want people to feel bad about where they end up in, in line, um, because it's not a race. There has to be meaning to why you're making them move or what you want them to realize at the end. The criteria does have to be binary so that there's no umming and eyeing about does that apply to me or not. You need enough space uh, to step forward so that you don't have people lining up behind each other and bumping into each other as they move. It has to be done in silence because you don't want heckling and you don't want people to take away from the gravity of what's going on. Um, and afterwards, you do need time for reflection and discussion. I'll move you on to the next kind of empathy walk where for me, this was actually a really rich and different way to tell the persona's story. So in this case, I'll show you an immersive way to let your audience experience and make the kinds of choices that your target persona is faced with in real life. Because apart from just sharing the persona information and telling the stories, what if you could make people be that persona for a while? So story number two, I'll take you to Chicago. I was a tourist here for a while and I came across this workshop that was being run by Legal Aid Chicago. And they're running a workshop on how to be, uh, how, how to walk in the shoes of a homeless person. And I was intensely curious about this because I had no background or context. I just had a lot of assumptions, which as you know, is very dangerous. So I'll walk you through the method of what we went through. Everyone who attended the workshop was asked to do the activity again in silence. As we walked in, we noticed a space um, was marked out with different flipboard charts. I'll explain that in a minute. And we were handed an envelope which had a description of the persona, which we instantly became. The persona was a 30 something year old single mother with a child who's about to graduate high school and two 11 year old twins and the dog. No name, so we were, like, we were filling in ethnicity, background, name. We didn't even name the dog. But inside the envelope was also the objectives. Uh, we were going to have to keep all kids in school in good health, so we had to make those um, decision priorities, pay rent where we could afford for that month, and we had a time frame. We had to last for nine months. Inside the envelope, we had resources that we could we would be required to spend. Um, there are green slips for money, yellow slips for goodwill, because as we learned, you use up favors and it's an expendable resource, and a pink slip if you actually wanted to surrender the dog. The different spaces in the room were actually divided up as discrete locations to indicate different accommodation options for someone in our persona's situation. 
we all started out at subsidized rent. And you can see from the different positions, uh, there's different costs uh, that apply to each one. The car is free, but you're living in the car. Subsidized rent was the cheapest option. And there are consequences for each one. You could, for instance, immediately go, I'm going to stay with friends and family if the need arises, but you use up your goodwill really quickly. And the shelter is also an option, but there's an age limit. So your oldest child um, won't meet the cutoff date, uh, the cutoff age, sorry, and they won't take the dog. So upfront, people were already making decisions without any judgment. They were making decisions about what to do um, should a crisis actually occur. I immediately started keep accounting the bills and I tried to make this resolution to try to keep the dog for the children's sake. Mind you, I don't have children, but this became really real for me within 30 minutes. A facilitator would um, guide us through different situations and activities. Um, we ha would have to make decisions at certain points. Uh, they'd ring the bell when it indicated a lapse in time. And at that point, we would have to pay rent wherever we were. If we couldn't pay rent at that point, we'd have to move to a place that we could afford. And the movement here is really strong because it actually shows that you're committing to a decision. Um, you can't cheat your way through playing different scenarios. I'll show you what some of the decisions, the, um, the hard and fast decisions actually were. So we had to pay rent wherever we were um, at the change of time. And if we couldn't afford it, we had to move to someplace we could afford. There was also a random list of things that would be farmed out to different people. So for instance, um, you know, life situations um, would occur, but they broke it up so that it didn't apply to everyone at the same time. Different situations, for instance, would apply if your name started between A and J, this happens to you. Did you have breakfast this morning, yes or no? For the ones who said no, this happens to you. So people started to get hit with different things. Example, your eldest child is an activist and got arrested at a political rally. Post bail, two green slips, let her stay in jail. As your mom, um, as the mom, what would you do? Of course, everyone starts forking out the green slips and watching the resources dwindle. Your youngest daughter is suspended for behavioral issues. She's 11 and she's not at an age where she can actually stay home alone. What do you do? Do you pay for daycare? Do you ask your neighbor to mind her? Or do you leave her unattended because you have work to do? All of these are very strong, viable decisions, but there are consequences for each one. Um, your resources uh, diminish or child services could get you if you get caught. Another case would be an official announcement that's made in Italian, that you don't speak Italian, but you're starting to see people interact with that announcement and you feel left out. Do you pay for the translation and see what's at the end of that, that particular rainbow? Or do you do nothing? In this particular case, my loss aversion was strong. I did nothing. Other people got money out of it, by the way. So this happened, um, the facilitator guided us through a number of different scenarios and all of the criteria, mind you, were very uh, beautifully crafted because they were all legal situations. Um, the people running this workshop were legal aid. They provided legal services that could assess, assist only some uh, numbers of the people in the room at a time. They were trying to show us that all of these legal situations that could be avoided or where someone could actually make a case um, were rampant and that not everybody had access to that particular service. By the end of the nine months that we ran through that time frame, most of the people in the room were in the car, not through any fault of their own, not through anything that they actually could have done differently, but the choices that they made. 
and would lead them, to, for instance, to immediately staying with friends and family. But there's knock-on consequences to these because you overload your friends and family and they also get kicked out of their subsidized housing. So now they're homeless as well. Or you go to the shelter and you find out that the mold situation there um, kicks off your son's asthma. So then you have to move again because remember, you have to prioritize health. So all of these situations had cost, um, they had effect, and it was a very somber, quiet exercise in realizing that you were doing the best you could do, and you were that persona for that time. This was not about mental illness, it wasn't about background stories, it was just you making decisions as yourself within those resources. So as you can tell, as a copycat, I immediately tried to deconstruct this. How could I possibly use this um, in another round? Upfront, it was a really strong persona, but in this case, we weren't told a story. We were just told the outline of the persona that we had to be. We filled it out ourselves. There was a clear mission and time frame. This acted as guiding points because there was nothing in there that said you had to keep the dog. People immediately started surrendering the dog. Um, but you had to keep the kids in school. And so that helped prime people to kind of go, remember, that's a priority. You don't have the option um, to take the kids out. You also had the room very clearly divided because you wanted that movement to happen. You wanted to make people realize that other people were moving and those choices were valid. So you have to have exclusive spaces um, to mark out those decisions, but give everybody a st common starting point. Then the criteria that you come up with have to be based on what actually you found in your research. The persona um, goes through these different situations, but there's also that random element to it. So not everyone gets hit with the same thing otherwise everyone's moving in the same block. And balancing each other out, you also have the resources that you have available to spend and trade, but also the cost per decision. So this I found was beautifully mapped out because there was um, that tension that was building all throughout that particular situation. This is where we felt the persona's real stress. Beyond accessing the services, it was all the different stresses that could happen to someone. Um, and a lot of it is financial. So to try to wrap up this particular method, uh, before I show you how I applied it in a particular project, um, this one's a really good method for helping someone, the audience in your room, understand the motivations um, that your persona actually is going through, more so than just their personality types or things that might drive them at different points, but the long-term motivations that drive core decisions or simple decisions. Um, you also get them to experience context over time and also see how a product or service does or does not fit because the people in the room might already know that audience, but they haven't seen how their product or service overlays in that person's life. So for the method, um, as you will already have seen from the previous slide, um, you have to create physical discrete spaces so that people walk to those decisions. Um, as you can tell, this is a very post COVID friendly method. Um, I haven't figured out how to do this um, in a digital format that will have the same impact. Um, you create the persona based, of course, on your research. Um, you create the frame for them. Set a time frame that's reasonable because going for too long, it does become repetitive. Um, you create the decision list and the life happens random bucket list um, because that also um, has to reflect what your personas really go through. And that helps make it real. So, And then you have to figure out the allocation of the resources that they have and how much the costs or actions will take, because you do want to show that kind of stress. This might not apply to all your uh, different research projects, but where this can be applicable, um, I challenge you to think about how you can tell the story. Uh, it has to be done in silence because it helps keep people's um, 
attention on what they would actually do. And it doesn't divert from the, again, the gravity of the situation. Towards the end, there has to be time for reflection and discussion afterwards. This was pretty powerful for us uh, because a lot of people in the room could not believe how they ended up being homeless in the car. They had done all the right things. And that's exactly what happens to a lot of people. So uh, the last story I'd like to share with you is how I applied this uh, with a team as I was working as a researcher in rural Zambia. So we were working with rural uh, farmers and the health insurance company that uh, commissioned us to do the work wanted to figure out how their product could apply to maize farmers. And we came back, we had done the research, we had the report, um, we were ready to do the presentation, our personas were solid, but we knew that the people in the room had relatives who were farmers. They probably had spent um, summers in the villages, but they weren't farmers themselves. They always had the mindset of their usual customers, which were salaried workers um, who had regular monthly income. So they were always going to think about that product um, in that way. And we needed to break them out of it. And we also wanted them to become champions of the team who was going to build these products in future. So not to slip at, at a later point. So my team, Tyler, Donna, and I, um, over a bottle of wine and three hours of planning uh, one night, got the team, uh, the, um, the stakeholders, to agree to doing a quiet work uh, activity with us before we actually presented our findings. Say, hi, we're back from the field. Um, everybody stand up, please. And we're going to turn you into a farmer. We had mapped out the room and we'd mapped out what the decisions were going to be. We flashed this particular persona um, up on the screen. I won't read out everything for you. I think you'll have access to these slides, but we turned them all into a 40 year old man with children who were going to school. They don't own the land, but they do have a couple of resources um, that they could possibly trade, goats and sacks of maize. Uh, we also gave them an objective because as a farmer, they're worried about the drought. They had to still pay monthly expenses um, that were non-negotiable. They had to contribute to the community if the community asked for assistance. Um, and they could trade in their resources, ask for contributions themselves, or take their kids out of school. And we wanted to see how people would respond. So we again set them up, very similar. You can see how I was copycatting this. Uh, gave them that persona within the envelopes that we gave them. We also gave them um, enough money to last, um, ideally. Uh, some tokens for grain and livestock that they could um, exchange and um, give them a time frame to last until harvest. We created the spaces according to where we knew the biggest expenses were going to be, um, keeping uh, school fees aside. So everybody started out as not having signed up for government farming schemes. Um, and over time, uh, we get them to indicate the change in month. So hardcore decisions they had to make, they'd have to pay for expenses. They could choose to buy health insurance at a monthly installment um, and school fees were going to be due at different points. But then we also hit them with life that happens, um, neighbor's mother passes away, do you contribute or do you choose not to pay but move to the place of shame? Everybody contributed. Um, you could also um, have people uh, having medical expenses, but if you had insurance, you pay nothing. Um, if you don't have insurance, pay this amount. Or it's time for school fees, which child do you love more? Um, pay for them. That was my rent sheet um, that you can see. And over time, you can see not everyone bought health insurance, but they were affected by those when they saw good cases uh, for when they bought health insurance. And towards the end, we did see people immediately go, I wouldn't buy this product either. These were the insurance people themselves. 
and they'd say, farmers need something different, what can we offer? At which point we invited them to sit down and we then shared with them our findings and they connected with it in a very visceral way. So here I've shared with you two different ways um, to use an empathy walk as you come up with it. Um, please have a look at how you might be able to add that extra impact in the room if you find it useful, um, but hit me up on uh, uh, email or LinkedIn if you want more detail around this. Um, as a method copycat, I love telling people about this particular stories. That's wonderful. Thank you, Kim. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's a, a, a really rich a really rich tool and, and one that seems reasonably easy to put into practice. Like there aren't there aren't many hurdles to it. It's just the, the preparation and the and the planning. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks everyone.